Thank you for joining us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we are continuing our study in Genesis, so let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. God's delays have always been a huge part in God's people's lives. We saw it with Abraham having to wait all those years before uh, Isaac came. We see it with uh, Moses, 40 years preparing him on the backside of the desert, just herding sheep and being a shepherd and everything else before God comes calling. And then because of the sin of the people, has to wait another 40 years, okay? And yet he doesn't even get to go into the promised land. And then you have David, anointed king as a young boy, then had to wait around 18 horrible years running from King Saul, hiding and living in a cave. Joseph has discovered disappointment after disappointment, delay after delay, but such is essential for spiritual growth. There's a man by name of V. Raymond Edmond. He was an American minister as well as an author and one-time president of Wheaton College. I believe he died in 1967, somewhere around there. He said this, delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. Wow. That's heavy. That's deep. And that is true in God's economy of things. It's certainly true. Joseph is being prepared for greatness. All delays and disappointments are being given over to God as Joseph continues to believe and hope in the promises of God. He's being polished. He's being honed for what God has for him in the future, and it's a very near future at this point. Now, there's a lot of people, I'm one of them, uh, that see Joseph as a picture of Jesus Christ, also known as a type, okay? Joseph is a typology of Christ. There are those uh, who see over 100 typologies of Joseph being Jesus Christ, a picture of Christ. There's some who see 75. I'm going to share with you next week about 60, okay? And if there's ever a person in the Bible that depicts the picture of Jesus, it's Joseph. It's Joseph. You'll notice that here that Joseph is numbered with two transgressors, the butler and the baker. We know that Jesus was also numbered between the transgressors there on the cross, two of them, one to the right and one to his left. It's interesting that Joseph ends up being a blessing to one, not so much to the other. Jesus was a blessing to one of the thieves on the cross, not so much the other. Luke 23, 39, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it says, then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we ju- indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Surely I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Amazing. Notice the two elements in this story, bread and wine. Jesus talks about the bread and wine. Luke twenty two nineteen. 19, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. 
And so he points to his body as being the bread. And that is what is going to be sacrificed, his body. The baker is hanged, signifying Christ's body that also hung on a tree. Peter accused the religious leaders of his day and in Acts chapter 5 verse 30 says, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus whom you murdered by hanging on a, not a cross, he says tree. Why does he say that? Because he's being led by the Holy Spirit to say that so we can connect the dots of what's going on here. That tree is, should remind you of, oh, the baker that also hung on the tree and the, the different typologies that are going on here. Him God has exalted to his right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. We also read in Leviticus that curse is a man who hangs on a tree, it says. And so again, when Peter says tree, it's to remind us of that as well, that he became sin for us, okay, as he hung there. The wine represents Christ's blood being shed for us that we may have new life. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood, made payment by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Jesus' blood was shed to give us new life. The butler was given new life. And there's so many that, you know, again, I'll show you 60 next week, okay? I mean, Joseph's a shepherd, Jesus is a shepherd. Uh, Joseph is rejected by what? His brothers, Jesus, we're told in John, was rejected by his own. I mean, it just goes on and on and on and on. And so uh, I'll show you 60 of them next week, Lord willing. So now we have more dreams. Chapter 41. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years. So after the butler is raised up and the baker is hanged and they forget about Joseph, another two years goes by, okay? Um, so Joseph has two more years in prison that Pharaoh had a dream and behold, he stood by the river. There's only one river that is of significance there in Egypt. That would be the Nile, okay? So this is what we're talking about here. He has a dream. He's by the river Nile. And it says, suddenly they came up out of the river, seven cows, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. Then he slept and dreamed a second time. So it's a double feature he's going on here. And suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good, Then behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh woke, and indeed, it was a dream. So he has two dreams here. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all of its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. The word magician here in the Hebrew is kartom, and it means diviners, astrologers, uh, magicians that can do magical arts and things like that. Those who could see and understand the signs of the gods and all the wise men, meaning the rest of the religious wise men with all their religious books to look up of previous interpretation of dreams. And he's got his whole religious cast in front of him and all the wise men in his realm to 
to come and give an interpretation, but no one could interpret this dream. And so pharaohs themselves were supposedly gods themselves. So any sort of dream they would have should have divine significance, okay? And so with that, he brings all the wizards and all the pagan priests, yet nobody could, def- uh, could interpret this dream. So you can see God setting the stage for Joseph here. And then in verse 9, then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh. So can, can you imagine He's constantly in uh, Pharaoh's presence. Pharaoh talks about the dream. Hey, I want you to go. I had these dreams and I want you to, uh, you know, gather all these, these guys up. And, and so they're finally all gathered up. I would submit to you the cupbearer probably has heard this dream before any of the other ones did because he's constantly in his presence. Okay. But nothing is ringing a bell. It isn't until he brings everybody, tells them the dream, gives them time it takes time to interpret a dream. Well, let us go seek the, the, you know, the ancient scrolls and the books and let's talk about it amongst ourselves. We'll come back with an interpretation during that whole time. Never once does the butler go, hey, I know a guy. It isn't until all this goes by and everybody's going, yeah, yeah we got nothing. That all of a sudden, hello, McFly. You know, it's kind of like, the chief butler finally speaks up. He says, hey, hey, I got a guy. He goes on and goes, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with the servants, put me in custody. <laughs> remember that? Oh, good times. Um, I was in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. Remember that guy? You hung him. I mean, you know, remember that? Well, guess what? We each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now, there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man, he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass. Just he interpreted for us. So it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. And you hung the baker, just like our dreams told us the way that he interpreted it. <laughs> hey, hey, this is striking a bell with me. Hey, there was, I had a dream. Oh, man, there, I know a guy. Wow, really? Took you that long? But I would submit to you that God kind of veiled it from him, waiting to jog his memory at the right time. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. They brought him quickly out of the dungeon. He shaved, changed his clothing, came to Pharaoh. So whenever you were in the presence of Pharaoh, you had to look like an Egyptian. And you had to be clean shaven. And you had to be clean. Okay. And you had to have nice apparel on. If you're going to be presented before Pharaoh, you had to look your very best. Okay. So no doubt at that point, He looked like an Egyptian. His head was shaved. There's no facial hair whatsoever. He took a bath. Uh, They put on really nice, fine linen garments on him. And so when he approached Pharaoh, okay, there was nothing there to offend. All right? And so it says, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. For I've heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. And he's thinking right away it's not me that has understanding joseph answers pharaoh and said it's not me god will give pharaoh an answer of peace interesting 
God has revealed something to, uh, to Joseph at this point. Don't know if he's already told him the dream and what it all means, okay? But he has told him one thing. This dream that you've had, it's one of peace. He hasn't even heard the dream yet. He doesn't even know how he's going to interpret it yet. He doesn't, God hasn't spoken to that. But he knows this, it's going to be a dream of peace. That's amazing to say that. And unless God spoke that to you, you're taking quite a chance. Because he could say something about a dream and it could be something of judgment that God's going to bring upon him. But he knows it's going to be something of peace. And he makes it very clear, God's the one that interprets. I don't. He just tells me. And it's going to be one of peace. And so, this, uh, uh, so he's been introduced, for one, to God, a deity Pharaoh has never heard of before. He's very quick to redirect Pharaoh to God, not himself. You can tell Joseph has no fear of being in the presence of Pharaoh. He knows dreams. He has had dreams himself. He believes that his dreams are going to come to pass someday, and one day he's going to rule. He knew he successfully interpreted dreams two years previously for the butler and the baker, and now he faces Pharaoh, and the first thing he does, he asserts the name of God. That's how much he knows that God is with him. Verse 17, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, behold, in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor, very ugly and gaunt, and such ugliness as I've never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. And when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up on one stalk full of good. And then behold, seven heads, withered, thin, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. No one could explain the dream. He had his whole religious cast there and, and, and everything, uh, pagan priests and his uh, religious community, those that were the heads of that and those who were into the magical, nobody could interpret this dream. And then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh won. And God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. <laughs> you know, I know the, 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 the butlers there, it says his servants. Um, you know, it, it would surprise me if some of his religious leaders weren't there to maybe learn a thing or two. And right off the bat, he said, I'm here to tell you, the two dreams are one. <laughs> you know, if I'm fair, I'd be going, look at my guys going, you couldn't come up with that? Really? <laughs> and he's about to show you what he's about to do. The divine revelation of the future is about to be given to a pagan king, just like what Daniel did with King Nebuchadnezzar. He says, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is a thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will deplete 
the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. There's no hesitation in his voice. He just kind of belts it out. This is what it is. There's confidence in there. Uh, God's the one in charge here. Pharaoh sits back and just is quiet the whole time listening to what God is saying to him. It's a beautiful display of God's power of who's really in control here. I would submit to you it's, it's Joseph and God. And, and Pharaoh's just taking it all in. Now, I love this because, for one, you have to understand Egypt. How, how does famine usually come about? Well, it can come around by war. It can come about by pestilence, okay? But not so with this famine. And, and you need to understand that in Egypt, if God stopped the rain in Egypt, that's really no big deal because they only get a quarter of an inch a year, all right? That's not enough to make... Egypt fertile. The Nile Delta would not be fertile by just a quarter of inch of rain a year. Why is that so fertile, that valley, that, that area is so uh, fertile there? It's because of all the rain and snow in the mountains outside of Egypt that travels at great distance that in the spring it does what? It floods that whole Delta region for a few weeks and then it goes back to its embankments, and meanwhile, it has saturated that land with new nutrients and everything else. And so when you plant things, you don't even need a rain anymore. It just, it just grows from then on. And so this famine is, is, is the withholding of rain and snow and all that kind of stuff, not in the land of Egypt. It's further up from Egypt. That's where that occurs, but it produces that famine because instead of that river swelling, it doesn't. And so because of that, there's, there's no place to plant. And so they're going to be in, in dire straits at that point. And so he goes on. He doesn't even stop. He continues to talk. Joseph does. He says, now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. I don't know what they were collecting up until this point, but 20% must be uh, uh, quite significantly bigger than what they were already collecting, okay? And so 20% of the grain, 20% of the cattle, whatever is being produced, you're to take 20%, and as we're going to find it here, you're going you're gonna to put it in a reserve. You're going to save it. So when the lean years come, all that 20% you're gathering from everybody, guess what? You're going to be able to give back, to be able to help them out. And the 20%, nobody's going to care because things are so bountiful. Hey, we want 20%. Okay, no big deal. We got more than enough, you know. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming, store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh, and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be as a reserve for the land for seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So again, that will be given back during those lean years. It's interesting to me that as you go through this, from verse 25 to 32, from the very beginning, verse 25, the dreams of Pharaoh are one, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. God is invoked throughout this whole thing. In verse 28, this is the thing which I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32, the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. 
He's introducing them to his God, the one true God, Elohim. And so in verse, uh, uh, as it continues here, it says, so the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. So his servants were there, okay? And so, and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? There's two understandings here. Either it's the spirit of God and he's invoking the actual name of God, the God of the Hebrews, okay, unwittingly giving God glory that way, or he is saying it in the way of the only way that he can understand. Can we find such one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of the gods? Okay, one or the other. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, verse 39, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there's no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. The only way that Pharaoh can bestow this upon someone who is not going to uh, run with it in a prideful manner is to raise someone up or to see how humble and, and, um, and gracious he is in sharing this message. He sees something in Joseph that he knows, I can trust this man. I can put him over everything. God revealed that to them. And, and so it was all those years of delays of God working in Joseph that brought him to this point that Pharaoh could now see this in Joseph. And I can have him be the overseer of everything in the land. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. Now, the signet ring bore the name of Pharaoh. The ring was used to press Pharaoh's seal upon official documents and therefore delegating to Joseph great authority throughout the land and to operate like Pharaoh. He's saying, whatever you have authority over, whatever you buy, whatever you have sent somewhere, whatever official document that you sign, have my signet ring on there because what you say is what I would say. What you do is what I would do. That's pretty impressive power giving over to this man who at this point is 30 years of age. Wow. So he gives him a signet ring, puts it on Joseph's hand. He clothes him in garments, garments of fine linen. Finally, Joseph is going to receive some garments that are not going to get him in trouble. And this fine linen is an outer garment as well, worn by the court officials. It was a garment of authority. And then look what it says. And he put a gold chain around his neck. Joseph got some bling. He gets this gold chain, probably has a big old you know, gold pyramid on it. You know, he's got some, he's got the ring. He's, he's got it going on, man. Joseph's got some bling. And it was a distinction of honor. Okay, it's a distinction of honor. And so now he has all this on himself, and it says, and he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried out before him, bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. In a matter of hours, he went from the pit to the palace. Right there, from that dungeon pit to the palace. How awesome. Let's pray. Neither death nor even life
That concludes this Thursday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Listen in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of Genesis. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. And on Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday evening at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for joining us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God.